0: Welcome to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 70. Man, I feel like we're getting, we're getting old on this podcast. You know, that's like when someone's in, their, someone's in their 60s, you're like, ah, you're still young, you're in your 60s. And then someone's like, how old are you? 70? Like, oh, like, okay.
1: That's, now, that's when you can start claiming all of the benefits, right? Well, it
0: depends where you are, I think. Isn't it, like, they keep moving the, the pension date, don't they? I <laughs> the retirement like, age. Or something like that. Yeah, but now 70 is the new 60, I think. Like, 60 used to be old, but now 60 isn't that old, really, is it? Because everyone knows how to live longer through health and, you know, better medication. But now 70 is the new 60.
1: I know. My mom's 60 next week. She's still running. So 60 is not old yet. No,
0: no, not anymore. Not anymore. Easy, mate. This week's guest, we have a guest, by the way, this week. um, I'm pretty happy with because last week... I said to you, I'll bring the session plan. You bring the post-session snacks. Correct. And you delivered something to me. I have no idea. I can't remember what you called it. I can only remember it tasted amazing.
1: (laughs) It had a chocolate and it had a lot of peanut butter and a lot of oats. There were three staple ingredients.
0: And it was from this, well, our guest this week, you stole it from here. You stole the (laughs) recipe. Uh, what's her full name? Megan is her name.
1: Megan Featherstone is her name. She's a registered oh,
0: dietitian. That's her last name. I thought that her company was just called Featherstone Nutrition, but no, that makes exactly. sense as to
1: why. <laughs> it's an interesting play on words, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So she's good. a registered dietitian from the US. Um, for the last 13 years, she's been working to help clients find their happy place with nutrition, exercise, body composition, and life. Um, and then for the last six years, she's been a certified specialist in sports dietetics, helping runners and endurance athletes fuel their biggest, baddest goals. Um, she also specializes in sports performance nutrition and has a heavy background in clinical nutrition to help athletes also manage their medical conditions and understand their own health history and lab work.
0: It's impressive. And I'm really looking forward to speaking to her. Before we go there, mate,
1: give us some news. What have you been
0: doing? windsurfing because i've seen a cut on your shin you're the only person i've ever seen get cut windsurfing
1: <laughs> what can i say it's uh i'm still learning my, relearning how to windsurf so there's there's some uh admin issues
0: definitely i'm saying that's st- all i'm saying i sent
1: you there's a beautiful video i put on instagram though of me going <laughs> i can go very fast in two directions but I, if i fall in I can't go very fast. I can't turn either, to be honest. Um, but I can go very fast in two different directions. That's it. Yeah.
0: Also, that video could be anyone.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Nobody no knows. proof it's you. No
0: Everyone's
1: proof. been asking me, how did you film that? And genuinely, this guy that wanted to borrow the board took the video of me. I think to try and bribe me so he could borrow the board. Anyway, he took the video of me and then airdropped it to me, which is lovely
0: amazing Uh, because yeah he just said to you oh can i have a go and like i I said to you i said you can mate if you drop it back to my house once you finish because i'm not waiting around for you i'm
1: i'm new to the scene i don't know what the rules are so i just went yes (laughs) okay here you go have it
0: everyone like down the beach is looking at you like rolling their eyes like oh look he's lent his board to larry it must be then i just looked at a
1: weirdo standing on the beach with minimal clothing with nothing no equipment
0: (laughs) just blood rolling down your shins exactly What's been going on in your running world?
1: Running world. This week, we have Sean Burgess attempting to run across the UAE in the fastest recorded time. He's going for the world record, 700 kilometers in under uh, seven days. That's his goal.
0: as, uh, As this is being listened to, he's doing it.
1: Yes, he will set off. We're recording on Monday the 1st. He will set off on Tuesday the 2nd of March at 3 p.m. So, yeah, by the time this comes out, he should already be at least 100K in.
0: Um, what's his predicted time to be coming through Dubai? Uh,
1: day three and four. So it's going to take him three days to come through Abu Dhabi, and then he'll hit Dubai. He'll come along the beat. Well, he runs, down Emer- uh, he runs down the E11. So he's running down Sheikh Zayed Road pretty much from start to finish cutting in onto beach road where lots of people will i suppose be able to access him and join him and then um Ike towards shoka direction and then through the mountain ranges uh towards vijera
0: amazing Um, and definitely it is encouraged to be socially distanced but join him for his run and maybe some support if you can
1: definitely yeah he has support crew the whole way so if you want to join him maybe just drop him an instagram message and his support crew will be able to get back to you and tell you the best places to come and join him for a run
0: awesome good right our guest is here i wish we had a a knocking sound effect for our zoom (laughs) room but but we don't so uh really excited to be doing this interview with megan featherstone from featherstone nutrition hey megan welcome to the show
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me.
0: Our pleasure. Megan, we've actually just chatted a little bit, but I want you to tell the listeners where you are calling in from. um, And also, obviously, they won't know where it is. So, you know, explain also (laughs) geographically where you are.
2: (laughs) So I'm in the United States. I'm in Ohio. So Ohio is considered one of the northern beginning of the Midwest. So kind of middle, north, closer up to Canada on the Great Lakes.
0: Nice. I definitely wasn't the only one who didn't know that. I hope.
1: <laughs> I knew. I definitely knew that. You
0: didn't know. <laughs> I was going to say south uh, east.
2: Yeah, not quite. Uh-uh. I wish it'd be warmer. We wouldn't be dealing with a negative five degrees uh, Fahrenheit for the past three weeks. So.
0: <laughs> Are you snowed in at the moment? No,
2: it actually all melted this weekend. So we got up a little warmer, above freezing. And it actually rained all weekend on us, which was welcome over the snow. So, yeah, no, we're, we're hopefully around the corner. We might have one more snow, but we should be good.
0: Brilliant. Megan, I, uh, a few weeks ago, noticed on uh, our, well, my co-host's Instagram over here, Rob Jones, that he started making some next-level snacks. And um, a few months ago, I got into making rice cakes, and a, a trend started with, with rice cake making. This guy's setting a new trend with these snack snacks pretzel making things anyway we did a session and I said I'll bring the session you bring the snacks and he bought me this chocolate oat something which it was not big enough it got eaten in about two (laughs) mouthfuls but it was amazing I said mate where did you learn this and he said from Featherstone Nutrition and then he tells me this week we've got you on the podcast I was just blown away by his advent of it this
1: is it's it's next level of research into our podcast guest that's what it is we have to check the goods before we got her on you see
0: yeah Yeah. So actually rob tell how did you discover megan and then megan we're going to talk more about you
1: (laughs) i was where was I? i was at a kid's family barbecue and i was speaking to another runner who loves chocolate and loves peanut butter basically and uh she told me about you know this this instagram account that is basically all of the snacks are chocolate and peanut butter. I was like, this is fantastic. I need to be, I need to be on this. And that's, that's where I discovered you, Megan. Um, and then what I really like, to be honest, is everything takes about five minutes to make. And it's like we say, it's, it's chocolate, peanut butter, maybe some oats. Um, but it's really super simple to make. And as Tom will testify, fantastic post-workout fuel. <laughs>
0: yeah, you literally can't go wrong. Peanut butter and chocolate. So Megan, how did you find peanut butter and chocolate? That's the question.
2: I think you guys have pegged me pretty well. I've actually had some complaints. Can you put something up without chocolate in it? And I'm like, why would we do that? So yeah, there's a couple of recipes without chocolate, but you can always add chocolate chips to those recipes. But no, you guys nailed it. I mean, my goal really is to help people fuel their bodies better for whatever type of endurance activity they're getting into and then along those lines make it easy so like Rob said like this shouldn't be hard it shouldn't be hard or all weekend time consuming to have healthy food around to grab to feed yourself to feed your family um so yeah you guys nailed it that's that's really my goal plus plus peanut butter
0: (laughs) what's also awesome is you're a runner you're a a self-confessed nutrition geek and runner freak
2: It's true. I think most of us are are freaks that are endurance athletes, right? Um, Yeah, we push our bodies to deep, dark places to try to see what they can accomplish. So
0: So what came first, running or nutrition?
2: Nutrition. So I was actually a dietitian before I started training for my first marathon. I, of course, played sports growing up, but I wasn't technically a runner. Um, Until I turned 25, I decided I was going to run a marathon. And that was my very first road race, the first time I ever pinned a bib onto my Jersey, it was a marathon. So you can imagine the nutrition mistakes I made along the way, even though I already was a dietitian but that's absolutely what sparked my interest in putting this all together, right? So I was already a dietitian, I was already an athlete but then the endurance piece, um, you know, I went on and got all the hours I needed to become a sports dietitian. So that's an additional credential on top of being a dietitian. Um, So I've done that for the past six years and it's been so much fun, so.
0: Amazing. I w- yeah, I'd imagine some like people would be like, okay, you're a dietitian, you're running a marathon. One thing you're gonna nail is the nutrition.
1: What I was gonna ask is what did you do so wrong for that yeah. first half marathon? What what did you eat or what did you not eat?
2: That was the problem. So it was a full marathon and I think I took part of a gel period and I finished just under four hours. So um, you know, it was i think it was like a 357 marathon so i mean i needed significantly more fuel than than one gel so my latest marathon was a 257 and i took god the equivalent I didn't use gels but I probably took the equivalent of like seven or eight gels in that time period so if you compare those two things you can see you know how much of a mismatch there was there
0: oh I want to come back to that with with what you took instead of gels but you would get on with our last week's guest really well because he also hates taking gels and decided he would only have what was it a cup of water at halfway on his marathon that was weeks
2: it ago? yeah <laughs> I don't <laughs> recommend that but it <laughs> sounds like he's a beast
0: yeah Why didn't you, uh, on your first marathon, why didn't you fuel it? What did you think was going to happen?
2: I don't think I thought enough, truthfully. And I I see that a lot with my runners is we just don't, realize the importance and how much we can benefit our performance and our endurance and be able to really have that final kick at the end to really show off our fitness. We need that fuel around, you know, we can only store about two hours of glycogen of carbohydrates in our body. So we need to be taking in something orally so that we can balance, we can pull from both of those things so that we never hit that wall. Right. So we can finish that race stronger. So, um, I hit that wall and anyone who's hit that wall knows how terrible that feels so um yeah we decided it's a great idea to fuel a little better
0: yeah I'm sure it's a good good lesson there's only one way to learn that lesson really isn't there you can read about Mm -hmm. it a thousand times but unless you you do it to yourself you don't understand how much you really need that fuel yep when you were doing your study were you quite um did you think you you sort of understood nutrition well, and and you were like, okay, this is the way. And then you started doing your running alongside your nutrition and maybe your sports nutrition and, and changed your view slightly.
2: Absolutely. So I think, you know, I, I dig into the research. So if anybody, if you guys follow me on Instagram, every Friday I do is that freaking two Friday, that's very research heavy. So not just an opinion, right. We see a lot of opinions out there about nutrition. So I really try to get the facts out there, the research out there and let people form their own opinion on that research. Right. So that's kind of always been my motto, even, you know, years before I was a sports dietitian, as I was really interested in understanding why we should be doing something. And then I think where the magic happens is how do we help athletes, apply that into their life, right? We all know the why, we know what we're supposed to be doing, but how do we make that happen? How do we integrate that into our own lives, which everybody's lives are different, right? And need different things, our goals are different. Um, So yeah, I think that research piece and really just understanding and using ourselves as our own guinea pigs, just like you were saying, Tom, um, You know, I think we have trial and error on our own end and that allows us to be stronger athletes and able to help other people more.
1: As a, as a sports dietitian, what's the biggest fueling mistake you think you see athletes making, whether it's beginners or um, slightly higher up, if you like, the, the ability chain?
2: Yeah. So I think the, the mistake that I see the most in people who think they have things dialed in is, is timing. So I think, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'd rather someone have impeccable timing with their nutrition than, quote unquote, perfect nutrition choices. You know, if we can maximize, we're eating the right things at the right time to support, you know, pre-workout during post-workout recovery, we're going to be a stronger athlete and have more energy and more fuel and, you know, better recovery. So we're going to be able to push our fitness higher than somebody who's missing that timing. Right. You know, there's certain nutrients that we need, right. We need carbohydrates before we run, we need carbohydrates during, we need protein after with some, you know, some fluid and some carbohydrates too, you know? So it's understanding what does that look like and how do we make that happen in our busy lives, right? So many of us are running off to another, you know endeavor after we've trained and sometimes we're just not prioritizing making sure that we get what we need.
1: I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I think lots of people, I think lots of people really just focus on Or lots of the athletes I deal with. They focus on that that pre and post run nutrition, but necessarily they never look at fueling the session that they're in. And I think there's, there's almost a big stigma of um, people get up first thing in the morning, especially over here to beat the heat. Maybe they don't want to have anything before they run. So they run fasted and they just get into that routine and that habit. And then when it comes to the longer runs, they almost get a big slap in the face when they, when they do hit that wall or they've they pushed too hard and they're, they're out of glycogen and that's it, you know? Um, they're almost still resistant though after that and keep thinking they can beat the system.
2: Right, right. And they really have to hook somebody. You've got to get them to try it and you've got to get something that works for them, right? And once they do, they're, they're sold, you know? Especially when it's performance, right? If we're just trying to finish, if we're just trying to go out there and have fun, and just you know have you know some good endurance that's one thing. But if we're trying to improve performance and improve times, you know that's where this really becomes imperative.
0: I want to go back to something you said uh, earlier. Was you fueled uh, your two fifty seven marathon, but not with gels? How did you fuel it?
2: So I use chews. They're the honey stinger chews. I don't know if you guys have those. Mm-hmm. They're basically like a gummy bear, but they're a circle. You know. Um, And trial and error, I just wasn't taking my gels. The thought of taking a gel and sucking that all back and I just wasn't doing it, right? So I'm like, okay, clearly, even though the gels are in my pocket, I'm not taking them. I've got to find something that I'm willing to take, right? And for whatever reason, shoving three or four of those chews and I just kind of hold them in my cheek like a chipmunk, you know, take a breath, chew a little, take a breath, chew a little, and then swallow them, you know, Um, it's just because everybody's like, how do you chew and run that fast? Um, But honestly, for me, it, I'll take those. Right. And that's what it boils down to. We have to find something that we're going to actually
0: take and that we tolerate. Um,
2: so yeah, that's what works for me.
0: Cause a lot of people think gels like gels seem a little bit like, um, you might not know this product, but mom, Rob will know what that is. So you either love it or you hate it. Some people can have gels and have no issues whatsoever. And some people just cannot tolerate gels. And it's always a question to me, you know, what can I have instead of gels and also, I also think it's not good if you're taking gels year round for all your training, like it's good to have a break away from sports nutrition as well. Right. What do you think are the best sort of quick and easy alternatives? Let's say not just chews that like you've used, but other things as well.
1: Like like, real, real real food. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So a lot of it's going to depend on how hard we're working out there, right? So the higher the intensity, the more likely we are to have GI issues. So the higher the intensity of that run, we want to make sure that it's something that's really easy to digest, right? So from a real food standpoint, some people take things like an applesauce squeeze pouch, like you think like the ones the toddlers use, right? Mm. Um, And some people make their own squeeze pouches out of like pureed fruit and put them in like a little flask, if you will. Um, and that should work pretty good at a higher intensity level, but for somebody that's out there running a hundred miler or some sort of ultra race, you know, we're walking up Hills. We've got some lower intensity moments. Our heart rate's not quite as high. I mean, we can eat mashed potatoes. We can eat granola bars. Um, you know, I've had athletes, one of them used, um, I don't know if you guys have them. They're like Hawaiian rolls. They're a little bit sweet and they're really soft. And so they're eat. They don't. They're not as dry as like a piece of bread would be, right? So he was like eating rolls while he was out there. Somebody else put a little bit of refried beans on a tortilla and rolled it up and just grabbed those and was eating oh, them while he was out there. Um, dangerous, surely. Right? <laughs> no, he said he just used it as glue. <laughs> there wasn't much yeah. refried beans in there, but um, you know, or peanut butter or something like that. But um, you know, when it comes to more of the ultra endurance stuff, you truthfully, like all bets are off, you know, whatever you can physically hold on to, whatever sits well, tastes good. A lot of times we need things that are high in sodium. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, making something like energy bites that have extra salt in them or taking a granola bar, ripping it into four, pouring some salt in the middle, rolling them up into balls. Right. Um, you know, there's just so many different ways that we can get our fuel. If the intensity is a little bit lower, it's when that intensity is higher, right. That we're running a lot faster, that we just need to be a little more careful that it's not too much fat, not too much fiber, because those two things slow down our gastric emptying so that means we're just going to increase our risk of GI upset um hence the reason some people use like applesauce or pureed fruit or things like that that are um just easier tolerated at a faster pace
0: yeah mm-hmm. we're gonna have uh Andy from precision hydration on the show I think next week actually so I'm not going to go too much into um into hydration because obviously he's going to cover a lot of that but I want to know your opinion on um like the sort of whether you should be looking for gels that are more isotonic or like the gels that claim to be more real food like what do you look for in a sports nutrition gel for people who do want to use it
2: yeah i look at individual basis of how well people tolerate things right so the real food stuff is a little bit harder for some people to tolerate so sometimes going with the maltodextrin fructose glucose you know gels you know sit better with some people Um, but I love that you're having them on to talk hydration more because I think that's one of the missing pieces for so many athletes. We know we need to fuel, right? We know we need to take, you know, carbs while we're out there, but a lot of people don't understand that hydration piece and how that fits in. Um, And a lot of times when people have GI upset, it's actually that they're dehydrated or they've lost too much sodium. It's not necessarily what they're taking in. It's that hydration piece. So a lot of my work is trying to make sure that some of my heavy sweaters or my salty sweaters, you know, are, understand that concept and, we focus on the the fluid and the hydration component and that sodium component on top of the nutrition and you know they're golden. All of a sudden, their GI issues are gone and they're you know crushing and runs and tolerating things fine. So um, we've got a company here in the states that'll test sweat composition. So I'm sure you guys will get into that next week. It's really cool stuff. So yeah, super important.
0: And and but, I think as, as most people know, hydration begins like the day before, not really the yep. during, right?
2: absolutely so you know if we get to like an over a two percent dehydration rate while we're out there our performance starts to tank so if we go into that session already a little bit dehydrated forget it you know and you the heat you guys have 30 minutes in you could be you know at a dehydration rate that's affecting performance if you're not going into it well hydrated so yeah absolutely i still um, remember
1: so that was uh, that. that was that was one of the Lucasaid sport used that as one of their massive ad campaigns was if you lose 2% hydration, it equates to a 20% drop in, in performance. And they had all the footballers running around. Um, I remember that years and years and years ago when I was young, but it just stuck in my mind. I never drank LucasAid yeah. but I just remembered that. That's
2: <laughs> yeah, it and, is um, crazy. And, yeah, go ahead.
1: I was gonna ask as well, like
0: when we know obviously you've got to drink um you know decent amounts, especially out here, people are, are always looking to, to be more hydrated but what are some like let's say someone isn't on on top of their form in terms of hydration what then is like an even worse habit to be doing or having what foods are gonna even like make that hydration even worse when you're then going to try and exercise maybe the next day or um like whatever you're eating right before your run are there any like just foods to avoid alongside being dehydrated before you go out alcohol
2: that'll <laughs> <So> dehydrate study <laughs> for even further right no um but as far as food goes you know there shouldn't be any food that's going to mess with hydration um a lot of times i'll have my athletes eat more salt like high salt foods right like super salty pretzels or putting a bunch of soy sauce or salt on you know pasta and rice and things like that um because that helps us retain more fluid. So sometimes I'll have people eat extra sodium the night before a long run the night before a race, because just like we're carb loading, we can actually hang on to extra sodium and fluid so that we have that buffer going into that hot run. So that, you know, that first amount that we sweat off is actually extra, right? So we haven't even tapped into that percentage of dehydration. Um, so, you know, I think it's important, like you're saying, to think about this the night before, to think about this ahead of time, um, to make sure that we're going into these sessions hydrated.
0: There's something a little bit salty and also and quite high in energy in terms of carbohydrates um, is a good idea to be taking on before your harder sessions where you're going to be sweating a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. I have a question. You, um, you mentioned that fueling for performance is obviously one of the big things you focus on and getting athletes to eat more or recognize that they need to eat more during their run. But how would you deal with, let's say, an athlete that's their main goal isn't performance, is maybe fat loss. So, if, you know, mm-hmm. lots of women, for example, they, they run to lose weight and they might be running a marathon as their end goal because they're on a, a weight loss journey. Um, what would you recommend, you know, female runners, let's say, that have a fear of eating to upset their fat loss goals, uh, but mm-hmm. they obviously still need to perform to finish that race? Mm-hmm.
2: And I think you point out a very solid, you know, group of my clients, right? There are a lot of people who do want to change their body composition while performing well. And, you know, the one thing that I have found, you know, when I first work with somebody, we go, you know, head to toe of habits, timing of nutrition, things you eat, things you don't, you know, and one of the things that usually reigns true with the folks that you're talking about is they're making some pretty solid errors as far as timing, as far as what they're eating. Right. So if we can just get strategic on how we're eating Honestly, we end up fueling better and still meeting body composition losses for a lot of people because most people think, you know, oh, in order to lose weight, I need to eat less. So what do they do? All day long, they eat less, 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 right? Like, oh, I don't want to eat too much, don't want to eat too much. And then dinner time comes and they are starving, right? And that appetite is through the roof because they've underfueled all day after a training session, and all of a sudden they're, you know, face planning and snacks at night and feel like they have no willpower and they can't control their choices. Um, so really, if we, you know. The ultimate enemy of weight loss is hunger. So when we get too hungry, you know, all willpower is gone. You know, I I don't even really like the term willpower because you know, there's just so many things that can test that. We should never be relying on our willpower, our will to eat healthy. We need to set ourselves up so that we can control our hunger. So that, you know, we're never feeling too full, but we're never feeling too hungry. And that's where, you know, truthfully, the magic happens when it comes to fueling well, meeting those performance goals, playing around with body composition. It's getting smart about when we're eating, what we're eating, and not going too long and getting in too big of like an energy deficit throughout the day. Because that's just where things backfire. And that kills our metabolism too, truthfully.
0: Yeah, that's a very interesting one. I think was people either lose or gain weight they don't adjust to what their metabolic rate is doing right and it, it can be so confusing to start going down the rabbit hole of how to work out your rmr what machines are accurate what machines you know should you be using um do you pay much attention to like calorie trackers and um and like your sort of jump on scale type machines for, for using rmr
2: so, you know, most of the time for RMR, it's more of an equation, right? That I'm estimating for these athletes and putting that back into another equation that looks at energy availability. So I kind of merge those two numbers together and kind of use my own judgment on, you know, where we need to be. Right. Um, cause you know, there just isn't, isn't ac- I don't know if you guys have access to, you know, getting your RMR tested over there, but that's not something that we have, you know, a whole lot of access to over here. Um, but, you know, from our research standpoint, there's a ton we can do to plummet that resting metabolic rate from doing dumb stuff with our nutrition throughout the day. So, um, you know, really my focus is making sure that people are doing the right thing to maintain that metabolism, you know, throughout training so that we're not, you know, throwing that metabolism into the toilet as we do starvation type things throughout the day trying to meet goals
0: yeah so give us some example like what what are the worst ways to to decrease your metabolic rate and just for listeners to decrease your metabolic rate isn't what you want to be doing with weight loss you want to be actually upping it because that's almost a not a free way but it's your body's way of burning through more calories which obviously is going to benefit you to lose weight and actually you get to eat a bit more because your metabolic mm-hmm. rate is higher
2: exactly what are,
0: what are some ways to to plummet that as you said Mm -hmm.
2: So they've done some really interesting studies where they look at, you know, how, how much energy our body is burning on a daily basis, right. Throughout the day. So anybody who has an activity tracker can see that, right. It's like ticking it off. Like how many calories have I burned so far today? So that's what they're looking at. And then they're looking at where in there we eat our meals and then they're looking at where are we burning that majority of our calories. Right. So you're training in the morning before the heat out there. So you've dug yourself into a very deep energy hole at the beginning of the day, right? So then if breakfast isn't big enough, no morning snack, lunch is pitiful, right? All of a sudden we have dug ourselves into a really deep caloric deficit all morning long. And that is terrible for our metabolism. So if we're doing that day after day after day, we're going to end up decreasing that metabolism because our body for half of the day thinks we're starving it, right? And then at the end of the day, we give it all the energy it needs because we've gotten so hungry. So then at that point, we're storing some of that energy because we're eating too much of it all at once at the second half of the day, right? So it's like this like almost feast and famine um, relationship that we get into throughout the day is what I see a lot with runners. Um, And like you said, that that our body sees and feels that difference of energy balance. So when we get too far in the hole for too often throughout day after day after day, you know, that's where it starts to conserve that metabolism because, you know, it thinks we're not going to give it the energy that it needs. It doesn't trust us. Right. So it needs to keep those basic body functions. You know, there's a certain amount of energy that we need to just survive, to live. If we were laying in bed all day, right. Which, you know, it, so if our bodies don't think we're getting enough energy, it just conserves that down too low. Um, so, you know, really fueling our body throughout the whole day and not getting too far into that hole, too far that energy deficit can be, you know, gold for making sure that we maintain our metabolism, you know, as endurance athletes. So
1: I'm I um, uh, oh, sorry, man, go on. I was going to say, based on that, then, if, if let's say we have athletes, so you have an athlete that's running late into the night, maybe they finish work late, so they have to push their run to later on in the day and they finish mm-hmm. their run. It's a big evening session they they're not really hungry when they finish so they're not going to have that late evening meal and they probably haven't eaten a big meal before um, because they don't want to be full up when they run what would you then recommend them having before they hit bed Um, so they're going to maximize their recovery but not dig themselves into that hole over the you know the eight to 10 hours where they should be sleeping. Mm -hmm.
2: So usually I would have somebody do like a smoothie at that point so that we can pack some solid nutrition in there, get some good fluid, Mm -hmm. you know, for somebody that's not super hungry. So, you know, we have to hit a certain protein goal that's weight based to really stimulate that muscle protein synthesis. So we want to make sure that we're getting adequate protein to stimulate that muscle recovery. So that would be one goal. And then the second goal is if you've had a big session, you've really depleted your glycogen stores. So there is a window that we can replete those more quickly. So we want to make sure we got enough carbs. In there to really start to regenerate those glycogen stores. Um, And then, you know, I think we're still going to be a little bit in the hole overnight. So knowing that we get up in the morning, knowing that we need to have a really solid breakfast in that morning. Right. Um, And then to get yourself back on track, especially if you have another, you know, decent session that night or the next day, you know, just really staying on top of that and understanding. Cause I mean, that's life, right? Like some of us have to train at that time. So how do we maximize that? It's not going to be perfect, but how do we make sure that, you know, we're doing everything we can to try to, you know, line things up so that it's, we're not hindering our recovery in the long run.
0: Yeah. It's like people need to understand that even though they might not think they are like an athlete, they need to feel like one. If you're doing any more than like, any more of what like one session a day you still should treat yourself as an athlete and be fueling for it
2: mm-hmm.
0: one thing i see quite a, lit, quite a lot of is like you talked about earlier um saying people sort of eat very sparingly throughout the day thinking that's the right thing to do but they get get to the end of the evening and and um and sort of make up all their calories in in one meal to some people that doesn't quite make sense because they're like okay i have a let's say for easy sake the two thousand um calorie target and by the end of the day you know I, i'm so starving and then i'm under i'm well under so i have like 800 calories to play with so i just like i ordered whatever let's say what, what would get you 800 calories easily say like a pizza or something like that um and you know i'm i ate that i'm still on my uh, calorie target why am i still gaining weight can you explain the mechanism behind that because i see it a lot
2: So I think calorie trackers are only so accurate. So I, they're an estimation, right? So if we're putting all of our, you know, eggs in the calorie tracking basket, I I think that's a little bit um, uh, false, (laughs) negligent. I don't know what word I'm looking for here Um, because we can't adequately quantify exactly what we're eating. Right. So I think it's important you know, with my athletes, I often track on just like a shared Google Doc spreadsheet, right? So we're kind of de-emphasizing the numbers and re-emphasizing the timing, the quantity, how is this, how do we feel when we're eating this way, right? So I think sometimes you know, when we're in those calorie trackers, we're losing sight of listening to our body, right? We're getting out of touch with that. So instead, like you said, we're just focused on this number and, you know, trying to eat this certain number. And I think, you know, in the long term, it's not super helpful because we're not learning what our body needs, how it's responding. We're literally eating to some arbitrary target, right? And then, like you said, probably if we have that many quote unquote leftover calories at the end of the day, we've underdone it somewhere during the day. So kind of back to the previous conversation, you know, did we miss the boat on recovery nutrition at some point? Did we miss the boat on giving our body something before a workout to make sure we had the energy to run hard during that workout? Um, And then, you know, we're eating it all back at night when we're just going to bed, you know, so it just kind of ends up being a little less strategic
0: than uh, desirable. Because, because that meal, that amount of, calories sort of in your in your evening meal your body can't deal with all that it's not like you're having 800 calories and your body is doing something with all of it it's gonna obviously it has to digest it so that's the number one thing it will do is you're probably mistaking some nutrients from it right and then the other thing is it will stick as much into into adipose tissue fat as it can as alongside spiking your blood sugar and pretty much everything we don't want to have from a from a meal in the evening before you're going to go to sleep
2: it's probably going to interfere with sleep too. They've done some cool studies where they've looked at when people eat their heaviest meal before bed, they don't get as much, you know, quality sleep that night, Um, which, so that can be a huge piece for a lot of people too.
0: So people in in that situation then who are getting to the evenings and they might think they're eating good, but still in the evenings, they're getting those, you know, the cravings, they, they just, they're eating their dinner that they think is, is the right thing to do. But then, They're going to go snack. They're going to go find the chocolate bars because they're just saying, you know, I'm just really, really hungry. And I know I shouldn't be hungry and I don't want to go to bed hungry. What's your advice to them?
2: Mm -hmm. I would take something like some of the recipes we were talking about at the beginning, you know, is some just solid balance, like decent things that can hit that like sweet craving. I've got energy bites, blender muffins, those peanut butter pretzel bars. I think you guys were talking about, you know, something like that. I always make those things, throw them in the freezer, both for myself and my kids. You know, if somebody needs a snack, like go grab something out of the freezer, have something like that. And then I think, you know, looking forward as to how do we avoid that from happening the next day, what ends up happening is people eat too much at night and then the cycle begins. They wake up in the morning, they feel sick, they feel crummy, I don't want to eat. And then all of a sudden we're back in that exact same cycle that we're trying to break. So I always tell my athletes, restart the next day. Eat a balanced breakfast. I don't care what you ate the night before, right? I don't care how crazy, I don't care how crummy you feel. If you know a smoothie is is more acceptable on your stomach after a big night of eating, um, that's fine. But we have to get back into that cycle, or we're never going to break it.
1: Yeah, I think it's well, that that lends. If you think about it, whenever people do intermittent fasting, you never hear someone that's intermittent fasting say. I'm going to start eating when I first wake up and I'm going to stop eating at midday and leave the evening calorie free. It's always the other way around, isn't it? Right. You always try and backlog the calories later on. Um, I definitely am one of those people that will have my dinner and it takes a lot of quote unquote willpower not to go and raid the fridge for a, a pudding, but it's only ever after dinner. And I don't know whether it's boredom, whether it's you know, sometimes admittedly, I've I've not eaten enough during the day. And I know that but one thing I find that really helps me is if I do ever get that craving, I always have a watermelon the size of my head in the fridge. <laughs> and I know that I can always go get it's not, almost e- if you like eat as much watermelon as you want. And it's you, by the time you've eaten enough to make a difference, you're going to feel physically sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of water. So you're hydrating and too. Exactly. You're fully <laughs> hydrated before you go to bed. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is. I do see it a lot, uh, you know the athletes do, they have their dinner and their dinner is nutritious, but they do just want to go and have a, a pudding and then another mm-hmm. snack and another snack mm-hmm. into bedtime. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right.
2: I find, I see that a lot. I think that's really common to And I think part of that is behavioral. Part of it might be how we grew up. Like I know as a kid, we always had dessert after dinner, always. Yeah. So I think even if I was eating perfect all day long, right. I think I would still want something sweet after dinner. And I think, you know, there's not necessarily something wrong with that, especially if you're, fueling well, it's just trying to identify what takes care of that. Like what it hits that, like for you, it seems like it's watermelon, right? For some people, it's just a piece of dark chocolate. Whereas, you know, if I raid something like a sugary sweet candy, maybe I can't stop. So maybe that's not what I lean towards. I lean towards something that I know is going to satisfy that sweet craving and I can move on from. Right. And I think sometimes that takes some trial and error for people to figure that out. Cause sometimes if we're like, no, 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 can't have it. Can't have it. Can't have it. We end up, you know, face down eating an entire gallon of ice cream at some point. So sometimes it's good to find what works keep it to a you know small amount um and then just you know move on
0: that's me i can't have just one piece of chocolate after dinner <laughs> like i'm either eating it or i'm not so i normally i tend to be like not and then on whatever day i'll just go to town on something that i find but yeah i i had to i have to make sure that i'm pretty like full through the day um so that when i eat dinner that's the last thing i eat otherwise it's a disaster but yeah. um my other question, I have two more questions for you that I really want to get across. Rob might have um, some as well. I have a, I have a really good one. <laughs> my, my, my first one is, um, because this is something that might not, it is quite common, especially within endurance athletes, but the ones who are pushing like you're your really hard, like say you're Ironman athletes, who are just struggling to eat enough and keep up with their, their you know, calorie amount. It's something that I definitely found last year or maybe the, two years ago, when um when i was dialing in for an iron man and i worked with a nutritionist and they told me how much i would need to eat and on some days it was just over five thousand calories and i couldn't get there it was it was a disaster i was eating till like right before i went to bed to try and get all the calories in and i really wasn't feeling hungry while still eating but obviously had bought into the plan and and sort of wanted to obviously follow as best i could what's your advice there if, if people are being told you need to eat more and maybe they do need to eat more but they're just not feeling hungry. How much time do you need to give it? What's some, are there some good ways around it?
2: I think, yeah, I've worked with a few Ironman athletes as well and you're right, it is hard but the thing we need to keep in mind is we can count the fuel that we're taking while we're training. So for example, let's feel like crazy on the bike, right? So that we don't have to eat everything our body needs outside of those training cycles, right? So if before we're making sure that we're having a solid snack, we're drinking some of our calories, right? So kind of the opposite of what we tell the general public is let's take in some electrolyte drinks that have some carbohydrates, maybe even have some protein in there so that we're not having to get you know, all 5,000 calories strictly from food at meals, cause you're right. That is completely daunting. So if we try to make sure that we're drinking some of it, that we're getting a decent amount of nutrition on the bike, you know, some while we're running, obviously not while we're swimming. Um, and then making sure that we're, str- you know, strategic and making sure that we have meals and snacks throughout the day. So that like you're saying at the end of the day, you're not like, well, crap I'm 2000, you know, calories in the hole here. What do I do now? We really have to stay on top of it all day, which does involve a little bit of prep um, and figuring things out and just some more calorically dense foods, right. You know, adding more peanut butter to things, um, you know, adding some oils, making sure, like I said, that you're, you know, making like a smoothie that you can pile in like two bananas plus some berries, you know, and really get some solid nutrition in, um, you know, through beverages, through smoothies, also through food, um, you know, really cutting back on some of the volume too, you know, again, going kind of counterintuitive to what we tell everybody, like eat more fruits and vegetables, you know, that takes up a lot of space in our stomach. So if we're eating a huge salad, like forget it, we're not going to meet our nutrition needs, you know, so it's just kind of tweaking some things like that to make it easier. Um, And it it does take, like you just said, a lot of work up front. But I think once we get it figured out, you can kind of dial it in for that training cycle and
0: make it a little easier. When I um, developed my addiction to acai bowls and oat kings.
2: (laughs) Yes. That sounds right. I like it.
0: It was hard to come off it, but I've just about broken back (laughs) of it now. Rob, what
1: was your question? I had a question. It's 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 more to do with uh, the recipes that you have on your website. When it comes to planning those recipes, do you do you sit down and plan? Right, what is a nutritionally balanced meal? What do I need to add to this snack to make it high in protein, maybe slightly lower in fat or high in fat, or you know, a running snack if you like how do you how do you plan those ingredients out I do. Know, it's me. kind
2: of a blessing and a curse. Like when I see foods or I see ingredients or I see people putting stuff on Instagram or, you know, I see something in a bakery, my meal, my wheels start turning as to like, oh my gosh, we could do, we like, we could make that so much healthier, so much more balanced to insert into, you know, different areas of solid nutrition. So, you know, just like you said, I'm always trying to figure out how we can pack some solid nutrition into stuff that people already like people already eat. Um, and you know, like you said, making sure that, you know, if we're, it's a recipe for a meal. I, as you've noticed, I always try to make sure that we've got protein, carbohydrates, and vegetables, literally all in that meal to make it easy. You know, it's not like we have to make three different things to make this balanced meal. Like let's get everything we need in one bowl quickly so that we've got that balanced nutrition. So that's usually my goal for, for meals. And then, you know, for snacks is I want them to taste good. You know, it needs to be something we enjoy and we're excited to eat but you know sneakily from the back making sure that it's got you know whole grains a lot of my stuff is you know got bananas in it for the sweetener instead of other things so that we're getting some really good nutrition you know while we're enjoying also what we're eating
1: you're tricking the public is what you're saying
2: (laughs) yeah and my kids
0: (laughs) (laughs) my my last question i need to ask and i'm sure some people are going to be hoping that we do ask it What are your thoughts on ketogenic diets and using like keto uh, exogenous ketones or MCT oils, things like that?
2: Yeah, there's tons, tons and tons and tons of research on this. And it all goes back to what's our performance goal. So what is the end game? If the end game is speed, I do not recommend the keto diet because, you know, there's plenty of research to support that it's going to, you know, blunt that higher intensity exercise. When we don't have carbohydrates to pull from, that is what fuels that higher intensity. When we're working at a higher, you know, percentage of our VO2 max, we increase the amount of reliance on carbohydrates. So if we don't have carbohydrates there on a ketogenic diet, we're not going to be able to perform at that high of an intensity to increase fitness. Right. But, you know, there's also some fantastic studies of. People, you know, going on ketogenic diets to do these ultra endurance, you know, like literally treks across mountains in Alaska and things like this, that they can't carry much fuel with them. So they need to be more efficient and relying on fat. That kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Right. So I don't think that it's, you know, not applicable to the endurance world, but we need to be very understanding and very clear of what is that athlete's goal. And is this truly going to be beneficial to that goal?
1: Great answer. I remember, I remember listening to you on that. I, was, I had a conversation with someone the other day and they were saying, but this athlete is, a, is ketogenic and they run so fast. So I should be able to run that fast and also be ketogenic. And my argument back was, you're not that person. They are, without, with all due respect, a far superior athlete to you and yeah. their values are not your values. Their threshold heart rate is not your threshold heart rate. You know, they will be running this pace at, at 130 heart rate and they will be using that fat store whereas for you yep. that would be your threshold um and you will be burning all carbohydrate so it's, i think it's a really there's still good a, point. A misconception between people's expectations and their ability and how fast they are compared to others and this is i suppose the problem with instagram and people comparing themselves to others these days isn't it yeah.
2: I think that's a solid point right there. Cause yeah, we have a couple elite athletes in the area who have done some pretty cool stuff on the ketogenic diet. Right. But to your point, you know, my thing is always, well, how much faster could they have been if they would have taken a few gels, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. cause we, you know, the research is just unequivocal for speed, um, and, and carbohydrates. So I, I totally agree with you on that. That's a good point.
0: Awesome. Right before I go make um, your blender chocolate muffins, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes,
0: sat here drooling over my keyboard. Uh, <laughs> Megan, how do you how do you work with people the most? Where do people need to go to to see all your stuff and uh, and get educated by you? I think you have a really good um, sort of education feel to your to your Instagram and your website, and I think that's the most important thing with people in nutrition.
2: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I really do like to give out a lot of stuff for free. So all my recipes are free. All my education research drops are all, you know, free information. So you can find me on Instagram at featherstone nutrition. Um, and then also, although all the recipes that we've been talking about are on my website, um, which is also featherstonenutrition.com. Um, and as far, I work with people all over the world, truthfully. So, you know, if there's people out your way that, that are interested in working together, um, there's more information on my site about, how that works happy to set up a call and talk about it too
0: featherstonenutrition.com are you on any other podcasts do you do a podcast
2: i don't have my own podcast but uh, i've been on a few they're on my website too yeah
0: okay good so people can go and listen when they're not re-listening yep. to this one <laughs> awesome rob any other anything you want to ask
1: no some i've just quick we're, fire we're questions still, some tips on your uh, baking <laughs> No, it's uh, Tom's turn next to bring the post-training snacks. So we'll see what he produces. Oh,
2: you guys are just, gonna have to let me know what he brings. It's
0: just <laughs> bananas. I'll make the muffins, eat them all, and then just bring the leftover bananas. Thanks, thanks. No. <laughs> Simple. No, I think it's
1: no. I think it's uh, nutrition is definitely one of. I think you put it in your in your bio in your website. It's definitely one of the the cruxes that most people, I would say, they they know how to train and we can provide plenty of training programs and plans and that's that's done really really well but what people always seem to get wrong time and time again is their nutrition and i think under fueling for runs is is a big issue that we see um so it's very good to have you on to tell people to eat more
2: <laughs> i totally agree with you i'm happy to tell people to eat more all the time but yeah thanks for having me on guys this is great
0: yeah awesome thank you megan you, you definitely obviously know your stuff you know how to cook as well clearly and uh and you know how to run so that's definitely a bonus as well you've got it all why thank you awesome all right thank you so much and uh hopefully we'll we'll speak to you soon and show you what uh what recipes we've been cooking up maybe we need another cook-off rob Jones.
2: yes (laughs) Yes, i want to see a cook-off thanks guys (laughs)
0: all right megan thank you Well, mate, uh, I can hear my dog barking, wanting to be fed. My stomach is rumbling. And I can hear (laughs) Heidi
1: calling, (laughs) wanting to feed me. You
0: need to go home. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, how many times do we we hear and we read and we say people are under fueling, they're running or whatever, triathlon, you name it. And how good is it to have on a, you know, a properly trained sports dietitian who is a sub three marathon runner sharing the same message.
1: Yeah, and saying that the difference between the four hours and the three hours was eating. Eating, yeah. Eating, yeah. Obviously there's some training in there, but huge. Eating is huge and feeling correctly is huge. And I think, yeah, like you say, having someone with over 20 years experience in that field saying it, people should listen. Should listen. Good.
0: Hopefully that was an educational show and we're going to have another massively educational show with Andy Blow from Precision Hydration who is coming on the show next week. We're actually recording it this week. We'll put it out next week. Um, And mate, you've got to have your pen pen and paper ready. I think everyone, if you're going to listen next week, bring a pen and paper. I don't care if you're driving, listening in your car. You need to take notes. We live in... One of the hottest climates in the world, hydration couldn't be more important for us as, as athletes out here. And that means any of you who are running outside or inside on treadmills, if you sweat while you exercise for at least
1: if 30 minutes a
0: day, then you need to know about
1: hydration. Agreed. If you sweat. Actually, remember last, this time last year it was, we were looking, we did a, we did some hydration, we did a hydration podcast last year as well. Around hmm. right about this time and i we definitely went and i went and did a sweat test and it wasn't to check actually how much salt i was losing it was just to see what volume of liquid i lost and when i was in the uk i remember i think i lost it was 2.2 kilos in a one hour math run and it was 24 degrees celsius that's a lot it's a lot that's so why people, now
0: you, you work out in your budgies on instagram <laughs>
1: thank you for that um yeah so wait, hydration and sweat is very let's finish this off oh dear me and then you wonder why you're getting dms tell you
0: exactly why mate anyway <laughs> moving on guys if you want to get in touch with us uh, for anything to do with endu- endurance coaching running triathlon swimming ultra running whatever you name it we do it ocr adventure please just email endurance at innerfight.com. If you mm-hmm. want a strength-based program that you can do alongside your run training or triathlon training, and you want to be able to download it, access anywhere with tutorial videos, please go to innerfight.com forward slash run strong and you can get hold of the run strong program on there. If you are looking to start to run, you need to email my co-host. It's right here with me, RJ. Yes. And you might be one of the lucky ones who are going to get the new revamp. Oh to run
1: oh you've just been looking at it and you are yeah. pleased you're excited, excited about this
0: excited yeah. and if you want to get hold of megan who was our guest on the show today you can head over to featherstonenutrition.com that's feather as in a bird's feather stone as in throw a stone through a window nutrition as in what you eat.com
1: good well done <laughs>
0: i should be on uh, should be taking police calls with imagination like that awesome thanks guys thanks for listening that's show 70 we're officially an old podcast
1: (laughs) see you then goodbye thank you for listening